0: Well, good morning to all of you that are present this morning. It's a a great day to uh, be together. I personally think that baptism is one of the um, best and most memorable services that we have here at Weaver Town in the course of a year or however often we have baptism it is a um, great privilege to um, stand and give a testimony of our allegiance and commitment to Christ and to living our lives in that way. And it's a blessing for not only for the, those that are being baptized to share their testimony, but it's a blessing for all of us who... Um, are born again, believers of wherever we find ourselves, um, yeah, in the world, to hear testimonies of, of these commitments. It's a reminder of the time when, when we did that, when we made that uh, commitment, when we um, gave our testimony, and when we made our commitment to allegiance with Christ for the rest of our lives. And... Um, Baptism is, is an encouragement. It's a meaningful Christian practice for hundreds and hundreds of years. And um, I'm happy that we live in a country where there's freedom, where we're not necessarily concerned about the physical well-being of these that are baptized in the next weeks and days as they leave this place. In many places in the world, that's not how it is. So in many places in the world, when you receive baptism, believer's baptism, it's like you strap a big target on your back. In many places in the world and times throughout history, there have been baptisms where authorities broke in on the baptism service and people who were baptized were killed on the spot. Numerous times throughout history, Christians have been killed because they received believers' baptism. Again, I'm thankful that we're, we don't have to be very concerned about that here today, but the fact remains that what we're doing here today is, what these five are doing here today is an important thing, not only in the eyes of unbelievers. It's an important thing to believers, but it's also an important thing in the eyes of the spiritual realm, evidently. And I want to, I've tried to encourage the, uh, the, the uh, baptismal, um, yeah, the, the five that are being baptized here today, the youth, that um, what they're doing here today is we can't see the spiritual realm, and I'm glad for that. I'm glad I can't see what's going on in the spiritual realm But there's forces that we can't see that, I believe, are pushed back or undone by the words of testimony and the vows, the commitments that are made here at a place like, a service like baptism. I'm happy about the fact that five youth have made the decision to receive baptism today. They've they've decided to publicly declare their allegiance to Christ to do it in front of God and these witnesses, like the vows say. And along with that, as we have a practice here at Weavertown, when people are baptized, they are automatically a, a member of our church, and I'm a, I'm a believer in that. I think that the Weavertown church, at this stage in their lives, of these five, is, is the local body for them, at this stage in their lives. And all of us that are here today from Weavertown and friends from wherever you are, family and school, and you're here as witnesses to what's taking place here today. In a sense, not only are they making commitments, but you're making a commitment just by your presence. Gives indication that you care about their lives and that you're behind them, that you're in support of them. And there's sort of an unspoken commitment that you're making by your presence here today that you are um, cheering for them and that you're caring for them and that you're praying for them. And my prayer is that that would be true for for every single one of us that are witnesses here today. I personally have also had the privilege of teaching um, these youth the last number of months in what we call instruction class. Basically, we follow a study guide, and the study guide is called Basic Bible Studies. It has, it has a 20-lesson outline of some of the basic important teachings of the Christian faith, and it was good for me to refresh myself as I prepared to teach uh, not all of the lessons, but quite a few of them. The fathers uh, took at least one turn in the lessons, and I think the other pastors all uh, participated at least once or so. Again, I think it's a great blessing that we've been given. We've been gifted as believers. We've been gifted with a history of teaching, and we've been gifted with the Word of God, which is the basis and the foundation for, for that teaching. And my prayer is that I, that we, that these five here today would remain faithful to that teaching the Bible is the sword, it is the Word, it is what gives us the power and makes uh, gives us what we need for our lives. <clears throat> so in these next uh, moments, I want to uh, lead us, I uh, guess, in a sermon here out of Ephesians chapter 2, and you can open your Bibles there if you'd like, and... I was inspired as I uh, studied, Ephesians is one of the great books of the Bible, it is uh, a favorite book for many, many people and for good reason. There are so many specific and important teachings, truths that are highlighted and given in a way that are uh, easy to understand in one sense and yet very difficult to grasp in another sense. The book of Ephesians is a book that is alive and holds value and, and power for many, many Christians for a long time. We Christians have enjoyed the book of Ephesians, and so today I want to, um, my prayer is that the Word would become new and fresh and alive for us again. So if you have your Bibles, you may open them to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, and I've especially would like to dial in or zero in on verse 14, and I'll save that for toward the end of the sermon, but there's four words there in verse 14 that are especially uh, precious. He is our peace, and that has become the title of the sermon, or I've changed the The pronoun to Christ, which is what is being talked about there. Christ is our peace. The means of salvation. I think for too many of us, too often, we don't grasp the meaning of salvation, the method of salvation. We we misunderstand our salvation and what salvation is about and what salvation is for and what it means to Christians today. I think entirely too many Christians in the world see salvation as something that happened in the past, in the past tense. Salvation is something that happened to us at one point in our lives. It's history. Our salvation according to many Christians, is a done thing. And I I know that I'm forging out here at least a little bit in terms that some of what I'm saying here is a play on words, and I want to cover that in many ways. Our salvation is done in the sense that Jesus died, and he when He died on the cross, His final words were, it is finished, it is done. What is needed for salvation is complete. There is nothing additional that needs to happen. But salvation for us as Christians in many ways is something that continues while we have had the salvation experience. And these youth here today and all of us are happy for that time in our lives, whether it was a day or a period of time when we put our trust in God. We went into that period of unsaved. And we came out the other end saved. And there's a confidence and assurance that we feel as a result of that. That's something that happened. And that part, of, that part of our lives is something that can't be taken away. Many of us can maybe point to a day and an hour. Many of us can't. But just the same, we came out of that period of time with a confidence and an assurance, a realization that something changed in our lives. The Lordship of Jesus Christ God is now in charge. It's not us that are in charge of our lives. But once we've been saved, the Bible continues and it teaches us that once we are saved, there is a a sanctification is the word that is used that continues to happen. We are continued to be matured and growed, grown up in the faith. There are things that transpire in our lives through stages or through incidents or things that happen to us and around us, and the Word continues to become more and more alive to us, and that is also part of the salvation process. There's places in the New Testament that describe that where, it, where we are being saved, and that is true as well. While it is true we have been saved, there is also a period of a true in the sense that we continue to be saved in the sense that we are sanctified and matured and grown up in the faith but i'm also thankful that there is a time that scripture talks about where one day we will stand before the lord and at that point is the time when we are actually really saved The presence of sin will be taken away. In fact, sin will be cast out. There will be no such thing as sin present in the world in which we live. And we cannot cannot fathom that. The world that we're familiar with here is so full of sin. And full of the presence and the power of sin is is something that we deal with on a daily basis. But when we get to that point someday where we stand in front of Jesus and the presence and the power of sin is removed. That's the ultimate salvation that we're still working for and hoping for and believing in and trusting that will happen. So, here's how it works. We are saved from our sin. The penalty of sin is taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ, who steps into our lives and occupies the throne of our lives. We no longer are in charge, we no longer uh, um, are saying yes to ourselves, but we say yes to Christ. He is the Lord of our lives. But as we continue during our lifetime as Christians, we're gradually being grown up and matured, and the power of sin in our life hopefully has less and less and fewer effect, a smaller effect on our lives as we mature. Little by little, we are grown up and matured, and ultimately, one day, praise God, we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. There won't be sin in that new world. I'm looking forward to that. I think it's important for us to understand that we need to be careful that we don't get stuck in the past tense and we need to be careful that we don't become only one-dimensional in this idea of salvation. It's more, it, it's more than just, I've been saved, or I've had the experience, or I've prayed the prayer. It's, I'm being saved. I'm continuing to, to be transformed, and to be matured, and grown up in our lives, and of course, ultimately, the aspect of our faith and hope is that we will be saved. The f- power and the presence of sin will be removed. That's what Paul is talking about when he gets in Romans, and he says, Now is our salvation nearer than, it w- than when we believed. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. What's he talking about? He's not only talking about past salvation, although he's referencing that. He's talking about the current salvation that's taking place in our lives today as we Uh, continue to become more and more mature in our faith. The salvation of the future is when we stand before Him, before God, and that day when He's going to declare us righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. Sometimes I think it's possible for us to miss what God wants for us in the Christian experience because we misapply the concept of works. And here's the dilemma that people have. It's a, an age-old uh, discussion in the Christian faith. The, the, the role of faith on one hand and the role of works on the other. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 make it just as crystal clear as could be, as well as other places in the New Testament as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Is there, any, is, there any, is there any aspect of this that is not clear? We are saved not because of what we do, but because of the work of Christ in our lives. That is what brings salvation. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. But the very next verse continues that and says, we are His workmanship, created in Jesus Christ unto or for good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So here we have this this idea of faith and works. The fact that we become saved is the work of Christ. We don't have any credit for that. There is nothing that we do that earns and merits us salvation with Christ. But when we are saved, there there is an attitude, there is an actions... There, there are things that come out of our lives as a result of our hearts and our lives being changed. And we should, we should not... There, there is really no reason that we should have to have Bible verses on our checks. There's no, really, no reason that we should have fish symbols painted all over our cars or anything like that. You can if you want. I sure don't care. But people should be able to see from our lives, our actions that we're saved. When they're around us, they're going to say, Ooh, that person must be a believer because of how he talks and because of how he lives and the things that he does. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Paul also says in Titus, to the young pastor Titus, he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at that verse just a little bit later. Both of these passages, and in surprisingly, amazingly many of the passages in the Scriptures where it talks about us being saved by what Christ does for us, In that same context, sometimes in the very same verse, sometimes in the next verse, it mentions this same idea that because we are saved, we work. That is the power at work in our lives. Christ, because of his work in our lives, puts it in us. And we work because of what Christ has put inside of us. It's sort of like uh, some of the imagery here. Created is the word that's used here in Ephesians 2.10. It has the idea of a, a similar idea of, of God creating the world and putting minerals and, and um, all kinds of uh, precious metals in the earth. And in that same way, in a similar fashion, we work the things that come out of our lives are a natural aspect of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. So we are to work out what God has worked in, and God has given us these things that we need. <clears throat> the requirements of salvation. I hope that I've made it as clear as could be that salvation is a gift that is freely given. The Bible does that. The Bible makes it clear that salvation is free, and it's for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. But there are certain requirements that are necessary in order to receive that faith, and I want to just spin through a number of these verses. John chapter 3, verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see the condition there. Believing on the Son. John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The condition here is hearing his word and believing. Acts chapter 2 Verse 36, Then let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The condition here is to have Jesus, Lord, and Christ. And it's important for, for we, us, to believe that. Acts chapter 3.19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. The condition, repent, be converted, Have a change of of heart, allegiance. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved certain things that we need to embrace and believe on. In fact, according to this passage, if we don't believe that, we're not saved. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is a verse from the Old Testament, another one. Rome, uh, Proverbs 28 verse 13, "He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." <clears throat> John chapter one, verse 12, "But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There is something to believe, and there is someone to receive. Luke 14, verse 26 and 27. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Following Jesus must be a priority of our lives. If Jesus is not the priority then we're not saved. The results of salvation. I'd like for us to just turn our focus here just a little bit before I get into this uh, next screen here, into Ephesians chapter 2 again. And I am just fascinated as I look at this passage and look at the words that are used And how alive this passage becomes, the more I study it, the more I find. Verse 1. You hath he quickened. You hath he made alive. That's what it means. We are made alive. Previously, we were dead. But now, in Christ Jesus, we are made alive, quickened. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us. God, the merciful God, made us alive. We are quickened together with Christ. Reminds us of the Sunday school passage that we had here in Romans chapter 6. Like as Christ was raised from the, from the dead, even so ye also should be made alive. That power, that same power that, made, that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in the world today. And He raises people from spiritual death and makes them spiritually alive. Big change. Without Christ, according to verse 2, we walked. We, we walked wickedly. We walked according to the course of this world. All of us, without Christ, were born sinners. Many of us who were born and raised in a, in a, in the, with Christian parents and in a Christian home I need to be reminded of this. We all do. I actually personally cannot ever remember ever thinking that I didn't want to be a Christian. But that didn't make me do well. Even though I wanted to be a Christian, I did wickedly. And I needed salvation. That's true for every one of us. We are wicked without Christ. We do... Things that are according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit of wickedness is at work in our lives without Christ. Being raised in a Christian home doesn't cut it. Being, being raised in a Christian church and going to a Christian school, whatever else you want to put in, it does not save us. We do wickedly when we're left to ourselves. Verse 5, we were dead in our sinfulness. Verse 11, we were outsiders, aliens. We were strangers in verse 12. Also in verse 12, we were hopeless and without God. That's a picture of every single one of us before we were saved. And it's a picture of you if you're not saved. If you have never received Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, this is a picture of where you are. I'm sorry to break it to you. But it is a picture of what we are without Christ. But God entered into this picture. And I think those those two words, but God, in verse 4, the change, the atmosphere, the change in position, the change in reality that becomes true for every one of us who receives Christ. John 3 calls this process the new birth. Ephesians 4 calls it the new man. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about being reconciled to Jesus. Titus 3 verse 5 talks about being washed and renewed. 2 Peter 1 4 describes it as a, as a be, becoming a partaker of Jesus' nature. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified because of what Christ did for us. And Romans chapter 3, and Romans chapter 6, and other places in Scripture drill down on this same idea. That when Jesus, when God enters the picture, things change. No longer do we say yes to self compulsively, but we compulsively say yes to Jesus Christ. And that is really, really at its Core that is the definition of a Christian. A Christian is a person who says yes to Christ and says no to himself. <clears throat> Several weeks ago, my memory was jogged. And I remembered a devotional that Aaron Lapp gave here at Weavertown many years ago. I'm not sure if it was, it might have been 15 or 20 years ago. I'm not sure and he used ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 and he used these four words at the beginning of chapter four, of chapter 2 verse 14 for he is our peace he is our peace he is our peace these four words he is our peace jesus is our peace he is the bridge. He is the access. He is the way. He is the door. He is the one that gives us nourishment. When we he is the vine, when we're connected to the vine, we have life. He is the one. He Jesus is our peace. <clears throat> not only is Jesus does he bring peace? Not only does he make our situation peaceful? Not only does Jesus work peace or bring peace into our lives; He, Jesus, is our peace. Many of the translations says that He Himself. It uses those words that double pronoun. He Himself is our peace. He is our peace. <clears throat> Not only is Jesus our peace, he is our peace. He is not only peaceful, he is not only peace-loving, he is not only peacemaking, he is peace. He himself, everything outside of him is chaos. Everything outside of Jesus Christ is frustration and trouble and pain and problems. And he brings peace. He brought peace between us and God. And that is, that's the, the basis and the constitution of of salvation. Peace between us and God. Not only does Jesus give us peace, He is our peace. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. If you page back in your Bibles to chapter 1 verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. My past has been taken care of. The wickedness that I knew Before I was born again, and since I've been born again, has been taken care of. The redemption, the forgiveness is available and it's free. I need to receive it. Chapter 2, verse 10 to 17. Again, the use of some of these words, I think I'm going to pass on bringing up some of the, um, yeah, some of, drawing attention to some of the words that are used. The barriers between us and Christ are removed. The middle wall has been taken down. The boundary, the partition, the distance has been taken away. He is our peace. And then thirdly, he is our peace. He is our peace. In Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5, there are, there's an interesting series in the event of our Lord in Mark chapter 4, they had had a long day. <clears throat> they get into boats and are on their way across the Sea of Galilee. It's nighttime. And a storm comes up. <clears throat> and the disciples are bailing water. And they think they're about to drown. I, 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 I don't have any reason to believe that they didn't know what they were talking about. It was a, it was a terrible storm. But Jesus was sleeping in the boat. He was asleep. And they woke him up and said, "Carest thou not that we perish. And he gets up and he said, Peace, be still. And immediately the winds ceased and there was a great calm. And when they get to land, they get out of the boats in the country of the Gadarenes, which was exactly on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee from when they had started. And they are immediately confronted with two men who are demon-possessed and have been demon-possessed for lots of years. A man, it says in the one passage, and in the corresponding passage, it says two. But there was some phenomenal things that took place right then and there. And not only did they get peace in the water, but the man that had the demon finds peace. He is our peace. It's a personal kind of peace that we can experience. The disciples experienced it. The demoniac experienced it. And you can find peace through Jesus. He is our peace. And now, fourthly, he is our peace. The Hebrew word here is shalom. And it's basically a word that is used as a form of greeting. How are you? Good morning, we say. Good afternoon. It's a it's a it's a, a wishing that things are going well for you. So when you say good morning to a person, it's a it's kind of a variation of this Hebrew word shalom, which they use in the Jewish culture to this day. It's the removal of competitive factions. It also contains the idea of being well, and both in hell and Health and prosperity and security and soundness and completeness and and wholeness. It's a it's a wishing of well being. Shalom, he is our peace. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-three. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The NIV I mean the King James Version says holy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Completely, utterly, nothing undone. There's no no, no more, there's nothing that's undone. It's complete, it's whole, whole spirit, whole of our soul all of our body. And that's preserved blameless through the power of Jesus Christ at His coming. Peace at its core, while it may include or involve the removal of conflict, It does not necessarily, in and of itself, explicitly mean that. Peace, at its core, doesn't necessarily mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that temptation goes away. It doesn't mean that we are never attacked. But it does mean that Jesus is our protection. We can have peace in the middle of that storm, in the middle of that attack, in the middle of that temptation. Jesus is our protection. And I love some of the wording of the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. And I'm especially thinking about Psalm 18, verse two. It says, "The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold." Again, that's taken from the new King James Version. The fortress language of the Old Testament is encouraging and comforting to me, especially as it relates to Christ and his presence in our lives. It doesn't matter very much which word we emphasize in this sentence, whether we say he is our peace, whether we say he is our peace, whether he is our peace, or whether he is our peace. Either way, it's just as true as could be. And my prayer is for all of us, and especially for the five that are receiving baptism here today and making these commitments before God and these witnesses. I wish you the peace of God. During the wind and the waves, the storm of life, my prayer is that your focus would be on the Prince of Peace, because He truly is our peace. And my prayer is that you and me and all of us would would find that peace, that would experience it. And become, enter into that fortress which is ours to be had. I invite you to stand together as we pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you that you are our peace, that you've made your grace and your strength available to any of us, to all of us. I pray that as we go through our lives, that you would give us a new and fresh understanding of the distance that used to be in our lives and how that distance is no longer there because of the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that it would be a reality for all of us. Everyone under the sound of my voice would have that middle wall, that partition, that distance removed. And if there are those here today that have not received Christ, I pray that you would give them the opportunity. Continue to draw them. Continue to bring reminders to them of their need. And I pray that they would say yes to you and commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, your blessing on these five as they give their testimonies here publicly and as they receive baptism. I pray that it would be a milestone for them. A a time of... of, um, of a blessing for them as they remember and reflect on this time in the future. May this be a, a means and a, a method, and an inspiration, encouragement to propel them into service for you in this church and wherever you lead them. I just commit them to you, and I pray your blessing on all of us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.